listening to First Church Charlotte. I want to talk today about how God builds a king. That is my title for this this, uh, message, this Bible study. How God builds a king. And I will refer your uh, attention to the stories of both Saul, King Saul, and the stories of uh, King David. We're going to address a few of them today and reflect on how this process works in our lives as God uh, develops us into useful, useful instruments in his hand. So let's, let's get right into it today. And I want to start with a question, uh, just how useful are we to God? Ask ourselves that question, just how useful am I uh, to God, and what could, what what could happen in my life that would make me more useful in the hand of God? Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? I've I've found that I've asked myself a, that question a lot in the last uh, three years. Um, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And I've I've spent a lot of time considering it. I understand what society says. I understand that. Uh, anyone who believes in the lordship of Jesus Christ can be fairly categorized as Christian, at least by the labels of our time and our, our, our society. I don't think that's wrong. I, I think it's fine. Um, if you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, not simply that he is a, you know, a figure of, of religious history or a philosopher of some type or a, a good teacher or even a good rabbi, Um, If you think of him as Lord, the manifest image of God, the flesh of God who lived a perfect life for us here on earth, uh, that we might know and stand in his righteousness and in his holiness, uh, then you you, you are a Christian. However, what Jesus invites his disciples to is not a label. What Jesus, when he speaks to those following him and he he says, look, can, can, can you take up your cross? Um, remember when the, <clears throat> the sons of, of, of Zebedee come to him and they say, Lord, what, what do we need to do to be able to ask anything of you and you would grant us that? What do we need to do to be advanced in this kingdom uh, that, that you are establishing here on earth? And Jesus looks at them, and I, I, I think he probably looked at them with uh, with with sympathy and even even uh, kind empathy, uh, the reason why I say that is because they're expressing zeal, they're expressing desire to be useful to God, to be uh, excellent in the kingdom He is establishing. They're not a, they're not seeking consulting advice on how to set up a kingdom of their own that is in the same manner, the same growth principles and business practices as his kingdom. They're asking how they can be useful in his kingdom, not how they can offer a competing kingdom. And the Lord looks at them and he asks them this question. He says, look, can you, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Um, Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And they, of course, with all the confidence of the individual who doesn't really understand, that's most of us most of the time, uh, they say, absolutely, no problem. That'll be be fine. Um, And Jesus says, indeed, you will be baptized with that baptism, and and you will drink of that cup. But... uh, they don't know really what they're saying and they don't really know what they're getting into. So they, however, through a process of time will become 
something useful in the hands of God. And the New Testament church will be founded and built by these individuals who truly, as apostles, are useful in the hand of God. They will establish churches. They will manifest the heart of God. They will demonstrate faith through, through victory and through persecution, through great acts of healing and through great suffering. All of it is, is, is useful to God to manifest his kingdom here on, here on earth. Are we useful in the hand of God? Am I useful in the hand of God? Uh, this is a, a fair question because in the same manner that the Lord in the Old Testament used men and women um, as tools that would manifest his will, God is still in the business even today of using men and women to manifest his kingdom. Uh, There are things that he only will allow us to do. Angels will not preach the gospel. Uh, You'll see angels worshiping, but you will never see an angel preaching the gospel. That's our job. It is our job to do that. Angels don't live out lives of witness. Uh, They are either in submission or they are in rebellion. But you have an opportunity to live out a life of of submission. And this can be so hard for us. Um, This can be so hard for me. Uh, Whenever there is something to be done, whenever there is a a, a venue in which humanity works, we immediately seek to win. (laughs) We immediately mix our ego, our status seeking up with that that context. Um, I believe, I deeply, deeply believe in the local church. I believe the local church is God's plan uh, for you to find a place of working and ministry. Um, I believe it is almost always an error to try to manifest the kingdom of God outside of a connection to a local church. Uh, That said, if we're not careful, we can turn the local church into serving itself and meeting its own needs and and the local church can become a social competition status. This is really the story of the children of Israel and the rise of very various religious groups and uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're all competing with one another. Uh, the church can, if it's not careful and it allows itself to go, grow carnal, um, it can promote itself while claim, claiming to promote God. It can, it can exalt itself while claiming to exalt God. Now, um, that's, we all of us know that's not the path, and we all of us, if the Lord, and when the Lord convicts us, we turn from that, we humble ourselves. Um, we can follow the path of the Pharisee, and we're willing to do a work for the Lord as long as we get credit for it, and we are willing to pray as long as we are seen to be people of prayer, and all of this is vanity. Uh, and it's even so there for us every day. Not just you. It's there for me. I can, when I get done with my teaching today, I can start being fearful about whether or not I did a good job. And I can start watching to see whether or not um, I, I looked good. And um, of course, I know I look fantastic. Thank you very much. And so, <laughs> just having fun. Um, I, you know, I, I, can, I can worry about how I did. Not did I convey the heart of God? I, I can turn it into a, a competition of talent. Did, did I do a good job by my standards uh, rather than, Lord, did I faithfully speak what was in your heart? We are all of us <clears throat> called to be uh, tools. We are all of us called to be uh, vessels. We are all of us called to manifest the heart of God in the world in which God has placed us. And that 
is the manner in which we are qualified to be uh, kings and priests in the hands of God. We are not kings and priests by the standard of this world. We are called to minister unto the Lord and advance his kingdom here on earth. That ultimately is the role of an Old Testament king. And so when the children of Israel ask for a king and the Lord gives them Saul, um, they, they are asking for someone to organize and advance the common interests of them as a people. They're looking for someone to provide leadership, <clears throat> looking for someone to organize effort, <clears throat> excuse me, looking for someone to take what they have and make it useful. Uh, the kingdom of God is still needing people who will take their talents and their abilities and make a difference. They will organize the efforts of people and make a difference. We right now uh, have people in our church that are rising to the occasion even of this time and this need. Um, uh, people in our church that are finding out needs and, and sending food and um, I, th- th- most of them don't have a title per se uh, that are that are seeking to do this. And uh, one of our, our young ladies um, uh, wrote up a plan to uh, what we could do and, and, and sent it to all the leaders trying to, 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 to organize. And this is a perfect example of how God takes our abilities and our talents and, and expresses them. One of the uh, ladies in our church um, organized contacting all of our elders and asking them, do you need something from the grocery store? And if they say yes... She will organize it. She goes and get and, and, and gets that. Um, others that have connections to, to needy communities and um, that, that work with these communities, they contacted our hosting team at the church. And of course, Ernest and Clarissa are always ready to, to, to feed someone and help someone. And they've organized the hosting team to take out food. And um, those of us, the people in our church involved and connected to, to needs through our, our Prosper University uh, mentoring program. Uh, they've organized baskets of food and taken them to needy families. Not one of these people did it because I gave them a call and said, this is what I expect of you. Um, I, I didn't do that. I, I don't know where people's comfort zone is right now. I don't know how fearful they are. So I'm being very careful calling people up and saying, I'm expecting you to do this. But this is in their heart. So it is in all of your life. Wherever you are, you have abilities, you have a talents, and you also have eyes that see needs around you. And just as in the Old Testament, a king organizes the people. He says, you're going to specialize in this, and you're going to specialize in that, and you're going to be in charge of this, and and you're going to uh, take responsibility for that in the same manner uh, that a king would do that with the people, and the people acknowledge that they needed that. You do that in your life. You organize what you can do, what you can't do, what makes sense. You know what resources you have. You lead the kingdom of God as a leader in your world in the same manner as a king would exercise dominion over a kingdom. That's number one. Number two, we're also priests. We minister to the Lord. Now, in the story of Saul and in the story of David, um, you, there, there's so many lessons. Uh, some of my favorite extended Bible studies and uh, series that I've taught uh, have been from these lives. And uh, I am I am very interested in how God builds a king. Um, Not because I have plans to be a king. um, That really doesn't work out in the modern era. uh, But because I want to be useful to God. And I know you feel 
exactly the same. And you understand exactly what I mean by that. Saul had been chosen in a moment and he reflected his, uh, that moment through his humility. He had been chosen and he had been placed in this place of leadership. And at his choosing, he was so humble that he didn't even know how to act and he hid from the anointing. And however, if you ever wonder whether or not people change, the answer is yes. We all of us are changing all the time. Hopefully, we're changing in good ways. It's not easy to change. It's one of the hardest things any of us do, particularly to have active guided change. But all of us are changing every day. You are, I am. Uh, Saul was changed by his context. And he, rather than pleasing the Lord, rebelled against the word of the Lord. And you won't find anywhere where he, he seeks repentance. Now, he was spiritual. He was a spiritual person. Um, you will find places where he prophesied and he sought to prophesy. You'll find places where he went to seek uh, wisdom from uh, witches, so to speak. And uh, literally, you see, he's a spiritual person. He's changed by his context. But the change that happens makes him less useful to God, not more useful. What are you going through and how is it changing you? It's is your circumstances making you more useful to God or, or less useful to God? Um, we actually know more about David's sin than we know about Saul's sin. If you just want to count up the number of errors, we know more. Um, and yet, David's became more useful to God uh, because of this contrite spirit, because of this willingness to be humbled, because of this attitude of repentance. And, and, and Saul loses his way. And you can, of course, read these stories, and uh, I encourage you to do so. Um, I, I'm going to show you a couple things, and this is all from the book First Kings um, in, in, in the middle chapters of 15, 16, 17. Um, and you'll find that when David... David is sought by the prophet. You can read this story in these uh, chapters I've referenced. Uh, he's among the sheep. Um, and they find him there and they bring him to the prophet. The prophet anoints him in the presence of his brethren. And then uh, he goes back to being among the sheep. Uh, not much life change for that. And I'm sure he might have been a bit disappointed by that. I know I would have been. Uh, I would expect an immediately at least a limousine if you're going to be king. I mean, come on, at least a limousine if not a private jet. But no, he goes right back to the sheep. And uh, then when Saul, the current king, seeks a talented individual uh, to sing and play to comfort his, tru his troubled conscience, um, they go get David. And where do they find him? Uh, uh, among the sheep. God uses certain things that seem like uh, hindrances to David to make him useful. Let me say that again. God will use the things that seem like hindrances to make him useful in the hand of God. Think about that. What do you look at your life and you think that's a hindrance? And you point your finger at it and say, that's why I don't have a chance. You point your finger at it and say, that's why I'm not useful. That's why I don't have a title. That's why I am undiscovered. And you point to that hindrance and you say, that is what is holding me back. It may be that God is using the thing you think is holding you back to prepare you and to ultimately elevate you. Think about that. Your hindrance may actually be God's plan, not your fate. 
And so here is, here is David among the sheep. What happens in the sheep? The first setback about being a shepherd in this time is the sheer solitude of it. Um, nobody, you would think, how am I going to be discovered here? Uh, yes, I was anointed. I had my one big moment. I, I felt like that a few times in my life. I had my one big moment and then sheep as far as the eye could see. And so um, you may feel that way in, in, in your context and Uh, I'm going to be isolated here. But God's using that isolation to prepare David. You see, if David grows to his spiritual potential, caring too much about what other people think, he's not prepared to be a king. Isolation becomes a tool in the hand of God. If David comes to his kingship caring too much about the approval of his brethren, He will be uniquely unprepared to be a king. The isolation that he sees as an enemy actually is God building a king. Because when David becomes a king, he's going to have to stand alone and not rely on the approval of others. He's going to have to know who he is and who his God is. Because over and over, he's going to have to go against the crowd to represent the the interests of his God. If he is swayed by the needs, the fears of the crowd, he will not see the interests of the kingdom of God. And so the very thing he thinks is his hindrance is actually how God builds a king. One example will be when he goes to his brethren and they laugh at him because he says someone ought to fight Goliath. They make fun of him because he says someone ought to fight Goliath. But David has had time to figure out who he is and figure out who God is. And he did it without needing the approval of his brethren. And so he can stand alone and say, who is this? This uncircumcised Philistine to stand against the, the, the Lord of hosts, to stand against Jehovah. Who does he think he is? He doesn't get that from, from his brethren. He got that on a hillside, figuring out who he was and who God was. And having been so founded, he is uniquely prepared to stand before Goliath. This is also seen in the son of David. This is not just in the life of King David. Jesus himself did not seek to find approval from other people. But over and over again, you find him rising early and staying up late and seeking places of solitude. Mark 1 and 35, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Jesus went out, departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. In Luke 4, he's seeking a solitary place to pray. In Luke 6, he's seeking a solitary place to pray. In John 6, he's seeking a solitary place to pray. One of the uh, opportunities that this strange time has given us is more alone time. Do you know who you are in the hand of God? And do you know who God is in your life and in your heart? Is he just a philosophical uh, 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 influence of philosophy to you? Is he just a social label? Or do you have a sense in your life of who he is? Use your isolation to become what God would have you to be. Not 
to focus upon what you feel like you do not have. The second thing that David could easily see is uh, is obscurity. He could look at his obscurity and he could say, I'm never going to have a chance. I'm glad that the Lord anointed me, but he promptly forgot about me. Um, I'm stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. This is an obscure place for me. But interestingly enough, what he sees as hindrance, God will see as a classroom. What David sees as enemy, God will use as a prep school. This isolation, this obscurity, also the sheer mundaneness of keeping sheep. This seems as enemy to David. This seems to be the thing that keeps him from rising to his place. If things weren't so isolated, I might be recognized. If things weren't so uh, obscure, I might be celebrated. If things weren't so mundane, I might be acknowledged. But this is not how the Lord prepares him. Let me, let me say that with more clarity. David's plan, his thought process of how he should be exalted is not how God actually exalts him. The Lord uses the very things that David thinks are keeping him from his place to prepare him for his place. The last thing that David will experience much of is just sheer uncelebrated struggle. Day after day of struggle. Day after day of being misunderstood. Day after day of having his good spoken evil of. Day after day of hiding in caves. Day after day of living as uh, a criminal. Not that he was a criminal, but that he was forced to live as a fugitive day after day of setback, despair, interspersed with rare moments of victory. There's a moment of victory, and no sooner does it pass than struggle, isolation, obscurity, social indifference day after day. But I want to show you, and I want to remind you, That this is how God builds a king. This is also how God builds all of us who are called to manifest his kingdom here on earth. To lead as one who has dominion and to minister as one who is a priest. We are all of us kings and priests unto unto the Lord. How does David... How does he make it through all of this? Well, the first thing that I I want to remind you of, and of course you've heard me teach this before, but it is ever so true and even so true today, uh, and that is this. David is a worshiper. Um, He's not just a worshiper after he had the big win. It's not just after he has slain Goliath that he is a worshiper. He's a worshiper, period. He's a worshiper on sunny days and on rainy days. He's a worshiper when he's healthy. He's a worshiper when he's sick. He's a worshiper on the throne. He's a worshiper in the cave of Abdullam, hiding from a hateful king. He is a worshiper. If you want to turn the junk in your life, into a prep school where you become useful 
to God. I would suggest to follow David's path and in everything give him thanks. Yes, in everything. In the middle of social distancing, give him thanks. In the middle of losing your job because your employer employer doesn't have any money to give you, give him thanks. In the middle of being sick, give him thanks. In the middle of, yes, being well, give him thanks. Uh, When the church is full of people saying amen, give him thanks. And when it's just you and about seven other people, um, give him thanks. This is what we are called to do. And this is one of the ways in which ordinary life gets turned into divine preparation. The second thing that David does is he, he reassures himself of what God is doing. Let me pause right there. It is so difficult for us to know what God is doing. I, 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 I am, look, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be the preacher. I'm supposed to know what God is doing. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I'm on my face before the Lord saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. And so it is with all of us. We, all of us are trusting the Lord. How can we speak to the uncertainty of what God is doing today? This is how we do it. Just like David, we reassure ourselves of what God is doing by remembering what God has done. I don't know what God is doing in the here and now, but I know what he did in the there and then. God brought me through. He was a way maker in the there and then. When I was weak, he made me strong. And when I was discouraged, uh, he gave me joy. And he didn't just do it once. He did it again and again and again and again and again. I trust him today because I'm a witness of what he did yesterday. I'm more than a vocal witness. I am a walking witness. I am a worshiping witness. I am a celebrating witness. Uh, no, I don't know what God's doing today. It's okay. I know what he did yesterday. And once you have a sense of the heart of God, it gives you the ability to have joy, unexplainable, inexplicable joy in the middle of uncertainty. Not because you know what God is doing, honey, you don't, but because you know what he has done. And he has done all things well. Uh, The third thing David does to turn just the things that seem to be obstacles to him uh, into literally prep school for who he will be in God is he prays about everything. Uh, Read the Psalms. Uh, David doesn't simply uh, say the prayers that make him look good. Um, He doesn't simply say, you know, I'm doing good when he's not actually doing good. Um, You'll never find a prayer where Saul abases himself. You'll never find a place where Saul says, look, I, am, I need mercy. You, you'll never find a place where, you'll find a place where Saul was a sinner. But you'll find him justifying himself. You'll find him arguing with God. And you'll, defi- you'll find him refusing to take responsibility. That's the story of Saul. Here's the story of David. <laughs> Creating me a clean heart. And renew in me a right spirit. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil thing. Do you see the difference in styles? So uh, you see David praying about 
everything. Let me read to you just some, some language that he left us in his beautiful Psalms. Um, this is Psalm 42, uh, verse number nine. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Do you see the honesty in King David's prayer? Do you see the the openness, the sheer spiritual vulnerability? This isn't pretense religion. This isn't pretending to be like everything's okay when things aren't actually okay. This is true spiritual vulnerability. And I want to say to you, this is what we need to do to turn the junk in our life into a prep school for being useful in the hands of God. Be vulnerable with God. Be honest with God. Don't put on your Sunday go to meet and close and pretend like you don't have trouble. Find yourself in the presence of God. Get on your face and say, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. I am weak, not I'm strong. Look how good I am. That's the prayer of a Pharisee. Don't pray like a Pharisee. Say, God, be like the, be like the tax collector in the Bible. And he smote his breast. And he said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me, a sinner. He leaves justified. They're both praying. The difference is in the heart. You see, there's more ways to miss God than not praying. You can actually pray wrong. Don't have time for that today. Although I'm tempted, I'm tempted. Uh, The fourth thing you see in King David, and I think this is the single most important thing for all of us, myself included, to survive our isolation, to survive the drabness, uh, the mundaneness, to survive the struggle. I will say I think the single most important element is this. David remembers the story's not about him. He's not the main character in his story. And so it allows him to go through suffering without blaming God. Do you see? Think about that. So many people, and it's a natural state for our carnal mind. So many people, uh, uh, we... We're always tempted to blame God. How could you let this happen? I promise you, if you dig down into the, uh, the philosophical roots of that, um, you are the star of the story, not God. And you're mad at God because he's not doing a good job of keeping you in the spotlight with money in your pocket and a smile on your face. And that's why you're really mad about God. How dare he? How dare he? I'll never forget when I was going through, um, when I was, I'm a cancer survivor, most of you know, um, I was going through chemotherapy, and in chemotherapy, they put you in a room, uh, and I'll never forget something that happened to me. I, I, was, I was fairly young, I was 20, uh, 29, and I would be pretty much quiet when I was there. I, I didn't, uh, I just was quiet. I'm, I'm a natural introvert, believe it or not. I know I have many of you fooled, um, but I'm a natural introvert. And I would, I would take my books and I would sit there and I would read. And I would think and I would read and I would think. And that, that's how I dealt. And so um, I'll never forget when, one day when I, I had asked to be alone. And so I had kind of disinvited people from going with me. My wife took me. She was the only one. Um, and uh, because she was my wife, she would, she would leave me alone. If I asked her to leave me alone, 
Uh, no one will leave you alone like your spouse. <laughs> they will leave you alone. You, you convince them you want to be left alone. Honey, they will leave you alone. And um, I, she knew I wanted to be left alone. And I sat in there. I'll never forget being by myself. She had gone out to the, um, the sitting room for a while or, or whatever was going on. I don't exactly remember. I remember being there alone. And I remember across from me, there were two women. And um, <clears throat> they were telling, they, they both were very, very sick like we all were. And they were much more talkative than I was, and they were just talking back and forth. And one of them was so angry at God. And she told the story about how when she found out she had cancer, uh, she, she, she went out on the porch uh, uh, of her house, and she said she screamed as loud as she could. She screamed at the world. She screamed at her neighbors, and finally she screamed at God, and she, 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 she cursed them all out, and she was telling about how she had done this. And um, Look, I'm not unsympathetic. She was dealing with a terrible situation, and she was a weak human like all of us, and um, I, I'm not I'm not trying to make this as simple as a good person, bad person. I want to show you two different responses here. Um, I think it's mostly, mostly unfair of us to, to try to lump people into all good or all bad. But that had been her response. And the lady sitting beside her was a, a very quiet, elderly lady. And um, I knew her a little bit from talking to her. And she, um, <clears throat> she was a Methodist lady. And she sat there and was very quiet, very, very proper. You can imagine the type. You've known a few yourself. And and I, I, I liked her, and I didn't like the other woman because I had to listen to him talk. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sitting there being quiet. And after this, one lady had told about how angry she was and how she had cursed and screamed and, God, how can you let this happen to me? That little Methodist lady sat there, and I could still see her sitting there. Uh, she had on a red sweater. She had uh, uh, white hair and um, very, very proper. She had on glasses, and she was holding her hands like this. And she looked over the other lady, and she said this. And she said, well, I had a very different experience when I found out I was sick. Um, rather than asking, why me, um, I, I asked, why not me? Sickness is part of the human story, and I wouldn't wish this on anyone else. And um, I, I feel like I'm, this is her word, she said, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to meet my maker, and why not me? Okay, so yes, in this moment, one person looks good, one person looks bad. Um, let's, let's move beyond that. And I want you to see this as two responses. You see, as long as I think I'm the star of the story, I can get mad at God when things don't go well. Because I think I'm the star of the story. But when I surrender me, do you see? And I say, God, you're the star of the story. If you get glory by me being exalted, that's fine. If you get glory by me being abased, that's fine. This is the testimony of John the Baptist who after tremendous acclaim and after tremendous exaltation and after being known as the most powerful and the greatest could look at Jesus at an unknown person at the time and say, I must decrease and he must increase. He sees deeply. He's not the star of the show. It's not about him. It's about God. So God, if it will serve your case to exalt me, then I'll be 
exalted. And if it'll serve your case to abase me, then I will be abased. But I am not the star of the show. You, O Lord, are the star of the show. When you get to that point, when you get to that point, you are ready to serve as a king and a priest before your God. You're ready to exercise leadership, to organize, to to show dominion and decision making and make a difference in your world like a king would. And you're ready to minister unto the Lord like a priest would. This is what you see in the life of King David. And this is what you see in the life of the son of David. Who after a year of great notoriety and acclaim where crowds are following him realizes he is to die the most horrible death of the cross and the crowds turn away. If it serves your purpose for me to be mighty then I'm ready to be mighty. But if it serves your purpose for me to be crucified I'm ready to be crucified. And so at Gethsemane, he says, if there's some other way, let's do that. But if there's not, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he drinks the cup of sorrow. He literally drinks the cup that is filled with hell. It is filled with sin. It is filled with everything that is reflective of spiritual rebellion. He drinks it for us. So we who are the true rebels might stand in the righteousness of this son of God, this son of David. And so, a real quick review, and then we're going to pray together. How does David turn the junk in his life from things that would, could make him bitter, could make him angry, could make him another failed king or another failed believer or another failed church member? <laughs> The very things that are inviting him to bitterness, the very things that are inviting him to be angry at God, are what God's using to prepare him to be a king and a priest. Number one, he's a worshiper. In everything, give him thanks. This is his word, Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of, richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David is a worshiper. Number two, David reassures himself of what God is doing by remembering what God has, has done. Let me read Psalms. Uh, this is... Uh, Oh, I don't have it here in my notes. Let me just read you from some of the, 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 the book of Psalms. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. In other words, I don't know what he's doing right now. Who knows? But he's done great things for us. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 
he reassures himself about what, does God do, what God is doing in the here and now by celebrating what God has done in the there and then. Number three, he prays about everything. He doesn't use prayer as another method of defending himself. He doesn't use prayer as another method of making himself look good and other people look bad. He doesn't use pr- prayer as a Pharisee where he has cataloged the world, those who are worthy and those who aren't, those who are the good and those who are the bad. He, that's not how he uses prayer. He uses prayer as a place of true vulnerability, true spiritual submission. Here I am. All of me. Not just the good stuff. All of me. And number four, and this is the big one. This is the hard one. He remembers the story's not about him. The story's not about his best life. (laughs) The story's not about him getting the lottery ticket. The story's about God. Oh, I know that's not popular modern preaching, but it's scriptural. The story's about God. God may use his life to exalt the kingdom through glory. And God may use the life of King David to exalt the kingdom through abasement. God may even use suffering. Does God have that kind of permission in your life? Does God have that kind of permission in my life? Is it true that we can say, God, if you exalt me, I give you the glory and I receive. God, if you humble me, I give you the glory and I receive. It's a tough prayer to pray. I don't always know if my heart is at that level of maturity. Sometimes I have to pray my way back to that level of maturity. But that is how God builds a king who has dominion, who gets things done, who makes good judgment, who manifests the needs of the kingdom who is able to organize, let's do this, let's try that, who is able to properly, properly weigh the values of the kingdoms, of the kingdom, more of this, less of that, who is able to accurately govern, lead, shepherd, and nurture. That's how God builds a king. And that's also a man who can put on the linen ephod of a priest and lead the whole assembly of the sons of Aaron into the house of God and worship like they've never worshipped. This is the one who can serve as a priest by reimagining what divine worship was and reorganizing the tabernacle not to be a place of form and ritual but to be a place of worship and celebration. That's what David does and this so impresses the heart of God that he reorganizes worship for all the generations to come and says we're going to do it like David did it. David serves as both a king and a priest. That's how God built him. That's how God's trying to build you. That's how God's trying to build me. All across the metro, would you, would you take a moment? Just close your eyes wherever you are. And let's, let's just let's pray together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with my words. But I encourage you to, to think your words and to pray what is true for your heart. Lord Jesus. I want to first of all confess that I often feel sorry for myself when I shouldn't. I want to confess, Lord Jesus, that I I can think the story's about me and I can secretly desire myself to be exalted and think that's what the kingdom needs is more me. I repent for that, Lord Jesus. I ask you to make those decisions and give me grace to celebrate them however they come down. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would let me, in the same manner that David did, successfully deal with the mundane, deal with isolation, deal with fear, deal with uncertainty, even deal with suffering. And when I come out of it, 
the very things I thought were keeping me from everything I thought I should be were the things you used to make me an individual useful in your hand. Lord, I, I've been honored to be the, and become and serve as the pastor here at First Church. But I, I want to say for all of us, I want to say for our, our musicians who are here and our singers who are here, I want to, I want to say for our pastoral staff, Lord, that, that we give you permission to use our life how you would. And we ask for repentance. We, we repent. We ask for forgiveness, I should say. For every time that we thought we were the story. We are not the story. You are the story. Would you exalt your name in this city? Would you exalt your name in our lives? Would you bring about your kingdom here? through our hands and our feet we don't want to be a vain church God we don't want to think it's about us we don't want to think we're too good or we're, we're we've got the real spirit other people are all about you. no that's the heart of a Pharisee Lord we often feel incapable we often fear, feel fearful we often but even so what we have, we give to you, and we say, spend the currency of our lives how you would choose to spend it, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. I love you all. I miss you so, so much. We're going to make it through this. We're going to survive. Know that, speaking for all the team, we love you guys. We stink and love your guts. <laughs> we miss you. We'll see you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.